everybody, this is Dan Nash with Trapping the Ozarks, and um, welcome, welcome, welcome to our first ever podcast. And um, let me explain to you real quickly why we're even doing a podcast. Well, I spend a lot of time driving um, through my job and things of that nature. So as I'm driving through the country and putting in a lot of windshield time, there's plenty of times that I'm just not listening to the radio. I mean, I can listen to music, which I sometimes do, and I really enjoy that. I can sometimes listen to talk radio or things like that, which I sometimes do, but honestly, I've kind of got a rid of doing that very often. It's just, it's all just too negative and honestly somewhat counterproductive in my opinion. So even though I do keep abreast of current events and things, I just don't want to drive around listening to nothing but talk radio all the time. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a variety of different podcasts. But one of my favorite things to listen to is obviously Trapping Podcast. And there's a lot of really good Trapping Podcasts out there. Um, you know, Clint Locklear does a bunch of podcasts. Um, Chris Pope down in Georgia does his County Trapping School podcast. Uh, Justin Jett's doing uh, the Trap House podcast with Who's Your Trapper Supply. Um, there's Trapping Today, I think, podcast um, up in Maine. I can't remember what that gentleman's name is off the top of my head, but he does a good podcast. There's lots of podcasts out there for trapping. Um, but what I found is didn't take me all that long. Within a few months, I've listened to most of those podcasts. So with that being said, there's obviously room for more podcasts. Because if I'm looking for more podcasts, other people must be looking for more podcasts. Plus, I thought, you know, it's an opportunity to share information um, and get maybe it's a way to also motivate people to do their own podcast. Because it really doesn't take a ton of effort or really a ton of expertise to do a podcast. You just got to talk about things and help share information and if we all help share information then we all learn so I think it's a win-win for everybody so that's kind of why we decided to start doing some podcast is it's a good way to you know better use our time when we're just driving and um, also to help share information and maybe get other people to share information so how I kind of wanted to start our first podcast here at Trapping the Ozarks is with a conversation that I'm asked several times and that is about how do you really judge if you're being successful when you're trapping what is a successful trapping season or in general how are you being successful and just trapping over the course of several years I mean how do you judge that what do you go by what are you um, basing that on so for me and obviously it's just for me on how I kind of do it. I do it a little bit differently maybe than most people. I don't know, I guess we'll find out after you guys give me some input. But there's several different ways that I judge um, whether or not my trapping season was successful. And uh, the first thing that I look at is I do a lot of trapping on private land. I do some public land as well, but I have, um, the opportunity and I'm fortunate enough that I have a lot of private landowners that allow me to trap on them that are calling me saying hey I'd love for you to come over here and trap I've got a coyote problem I've got this I've got that which I think is you know a good a good situation because then it's a little bit safer you don't have to worry about people maybe stealing your equipment or interfering in your catches and things like that like sometimes you have to do on public land so so I like private land 
Um, plus, generally, you're not going to have other trappers to contend with on private land. Not that that's a bad thing. I, even when I'm on public land, if there's other trappers that are there, other trappers respect other trappers, I think, and I've found over the years. So if you see that another trapper's already there, then you just move on to a different part of public land. But on private land, you don't usually have to worry about that, so you can pretty much put your traps anywhere you want. You can pick the best locations. Um, so I like private land more so than I do public land. So why am I talking about the private land? Because that's the first way that I judge whether or not my trapping season was a success. And I judge that based upon what does that private land owner think at the end of my trapping season? Do they judge that the trapping season was a success? And you know, the first question that you might have is, well, how would they even have any information to judge whether the trapping season was was a success? Well, there's a couple things that I do, and I'm sure that plenty of people out there do the same thing, is I try to keep my landowners um, in the loop and abreast of what's going on. For example, if I'm catching, you know, maybe I go to a landowner and I'm going to trap on him for two weeks let's say and I'm just throwing that out as, as an example and I and during that two weeks I catch whatever 10 coyotes a dozen coyotes 12 20 coyotes doesn't matter whatever I catch I will try to send send him some photos um, if he's out like feeding hay or something and I see him out in, in a field um, I've done this several times where I'll actually drive over there to him and, and just chat with him for a minute and you know have some good contact build a little rapport but also say hey I just want to let you know that um, I actually can tell I caught a couple a coyote over here and you want to go over and check it out with me and you'd be surprised how many of these landowners are like yeah man I'd love to go check that out and then they jump in the truck with you or whatever and then they go and uh, you drive over there and you got this coyote in a in a trap and he's you know sitting there and maybe he's barking or whatever he's doing and it gives that landowner an opportunity to kind of share in the experience that you are doing um, on his land he, he gets to share in that experience and he gets to see the results of you coming onto his property and you know getting rid of these coyotes if that's what it is or whatever it is doesn't matter what it is whatever you're trying to get rid of but if you keep these uh, landowners in kind of in the loop so to speak and in the process they feel like they're a part of it um, they can see the results as far as you know you you know getting rid of so many animals off of them so many predators off of them and then they you know feel good about that that you're helping their turkey population or their deer population or keeping the coyotes off of their sheep or lambs or calves or whatever it is that they are concerned about so it gives them that sense of hey you know we're a team we're doing this together and we're really making progress and then at the end of the year you know hopefully all those private landowners are totally happy with your success rate that you, you have done on them, and then they'll not only invite you back next year, but they're gonna tell all their other friends from the coffee shop and from neighbors down the road and relatives, and then pretty soon you end up with more land than you even know how to possibly trap on, which is never a bad thing. Um, so that's the first way that I really gauge success is, was I successful with the private landowner? Did he believe or she believe that this was a successful trapping season? Uh, were they part of it? Um, did I have those opportunities to share um, what was going on with them? 
And if I did, I did all those things, then I consider that first thing off of my checklist is that my trapping season was successful. The second way that I judge whether or not I had a successful trapping season or not is was I able to expose new people to trapping? And I know that sounds, well, really, Dan? Are you serious? That's how you judge whether or not you were successful or not? And yes, that's one of the criteria that I use because, um, you know, as I get older, as we all get older, um, I see less and less younger people getting involved in trapping. And at some point, it's going to become a completely lost art. And I don't want that to happen. It's, it's just, it's too much of a good conservation tool. It's too much of, um, you know, just a good wildlife management tool for, for people to not be part of that. And, you know, a perfect example is I went to my state uh, Trappers Association meeting here a while back. And uh, I'm looking around the room and literally, now mind you, I'm 50 years old. And I literally look around and there's like three or four people that are younger than me. I mean, everyone else is older than me. And, and a lot of these people are 10, 15 years older than me. Which is not a bad thing. It's a ton of experience to have in that room. It's awesome. But what it made me think of is, where's all the 30-somethings? Where's all the 20-somethings? They're, they're just not here. And maybe that's because, I don't know, they had other things to do or whatever. But there was none of them. I mean, the, younger, the people that were younger than me were still like in their 40s. And I'm like, well, where's the younger generation? And I'd be willing to bet that most of you see the same thing in your trapping um, conventions, your trapping association meetings. You don't see this younger generation. So what I do is every year I try to make a conscious effort to try to, if I can, take some younger people out on the trap line with me. And even if it's not younger people, just take people that have never been exposed to trapping before. I've, I've taken you know, several people out this last season. I think it was four or five different people that um, had never been exposed to trapping. And honestly, were a little weary about going with me. And they're like, well, I kind of have an interest to see what you're doing. But you know, I don't know that I can handle the fact that you know what what's happening to these poor animals and you know I see this stuff on social media and I'm like well that's not what's happening that's even more of a reason that you should go with me so they end up going and they realize that it's not like what they see on social media or the news like most things in life that stuff is not accurate um, and surely I don't have to tell you that what you see on the news and social media is not true most of the time or not accurate. But if you didn't know that, I'm telling you now, um, it's probably not accurate. So they go out, they see things, and they're like, wow, you really go out of your way to make sure that this animal is not injured in any way. You're using the proper traps, and you're setting them you know, safely, and whether you're using a drag, or whether you're using an earth anchor, you're using um, you know, a, a spring in the, in the chain line to help alleviate the stress off that animal. You're using offset jaw traps. And then probably the biggest thing that I see is once, and I harvest that animal very, very humanely, and I've talked about that before. I, I, I shoot all my catches with a 22, and I shoot them in the head. And um, I know people are sometimes like, yeah, but you're going to get blood all over your set and things like that. I just don't think that really matters. I've never seen that that matters. I've never seen that that keeps me from catching animals. But if you want to do it a different way, that's fine. That's just the way I do it. 
because I care about animals and I want to harvest that animal as quickly and as humanely as possible and I feel like if you do that the animal is dead instantly there's no suffering there's no anything like that um, and I want to do it humanely so I harvest that animal humanely they see that they watch that and then the next thing I will do is when I remove that animal from the set I'll show them the paw I'll show them that look at this there's no damage to this animal um, this animal would would you know run off if I let it go and sometimes um, when I have these folks out that are new to trapping um, and I'll have a non-target catch of some some you know species like um, around where I live um, over the last several years number one I've hardly caught any red foxes I think I've caught two red foxes in three years because the coyotes have just been so hard on them they've devastated the population so last year I actually caught a red fox and of course I released it and I had a new person with me that day so it was perfect timing and um, I released that fox and it just ran off and not only did it ran off it ran about maybe 30 35 yards and then it stopped and it looked back at me as if to say hey what's going on and then it took off again running and and this was a, a, a female lady that I had with me and she was just like wow that animal was not injured in any way it was not terrified it was not scared it was not tortured it was none of these things that you see and it exposed her to trapping so much so that now she's got small little piece of property it's like 67 acres I think um, but she's got a lot of predators on her and she wants to have some chickens she wants to have some other things so now she's even considered getting a few traps just to try to keep the you know the coons and the possums off of her chickens and out of her chicken house and things like that so um, I consider that a win and that is a successful trapping season if you can expose a few people that are either young people or people that never been exposed to trapping before or both and actually show them what trapping is really about whether or not they're interested in trapping is not really the point the point is you've exposed them you provided them the truth so that you know later maybe two years later and there's some you know um, anti-trapping group that wants to do a bunch of stuff well now you've educated people on what trapping really is and what trapping really isn't and then not only will they know but they'll tell their friends and that's a big deal it's a big deal in a trapping world so whether or not you get them involved in trapping or not if you can then that's like the icing on the cake but just educating them is a big deal so that is the second way that I decide whether or not my trapping season is successful was the landowner happy did I expose people into trapping young people especially and people that don't have never trapped before right and then the third thing that I decide about whether or not my trapping season was successful was really just did I have fun trapping is supposed to have be fun now is it a lot of hard work well of course it is it's a ton of hard work but did I have fun and I'll use an example last season here in the Ozarks was kind of a tough season tough season in because of the weather 
it rained a lot and in the past like the season before it was very cold and it snowed a lot but when it's really cold I actually don't mind that and I find trapping is better when it's really cold the predators are working harder they're they're hungry they're moving um, so I like it when it's cold and plus when we did get precipitation it just snowed I can trap in the snow not a big deal the rain much more of a pain um, you couldn't get into certain fields because the fields were all wet you didn't want to tear up the farmers fields constantly trap beds were full of water and then you would get freeze thaw freeze thaw freeze thaw freeze thaw constantly having a trap in the mud it's a tough season constantly going around in the rain just a challenging season to say the least and to to be successful in those environments and that weather condition obviously creates a lot more challenges and a lot more work because there were plenty of times that I'd had to go out and basically redo my complete line a couple times in the same week because I'd get two inches of rain on a Monday I get the line back going pretty good on a Tuesday and a couple days it'd be good and then by Thursday or Friday another front would blow through and I get another two inches of rain and when there's just standing water everywhere and I mean how do you trap in that it's very very difficult just trapping in the mud and just getting around to even get to the areas that you want to get to so challenging season for me so the third way that I just decide basically whether my trapping season was successful is did I have fun and even looking back even last year at the end of the season I think it was the first season in a while that I looked back and I thought you know I'm kind of glad the season's kind of over because I've worked my rear end off this season um, and I kind of am ready for a little bit of a break and generally when trapping season is over I'm sad because I'm like man now I've got another nine months to wait around for trapping season and and uh, I'm sad I it's crazy but I enjoy getting up at well, I don't always enjoy getting up at 4:30 in the morning let's 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 preface that a little bit but it's well worth it when I can go out and check my traps and and do everything so so I'm always sad when trapping season is a bit over and um, but this last year I was kind of like okay I'm kind of ready for a break. The season and the weather was kind of hard on me and was tough, so I'm ready for a break. But I still had fun. And when I and when I thought about it, even though it was rain, even though it was a lot of mud, even though it was very challenging, I still had fun and I was still ready for the next trapping season to to come again. So, that's the third way that I decide whether or not my trapping season was successful is did I have fun? And if the answer is yes, then it was successful. The last thing that I use to determine whether or not my trapping season was successful is probably the, the main way that most people decide whether or not their trapping season was successful, and that's just numbers. And in the trapping world, personally, personal opinion, personal opinion only, I think that um, we get too caught up in numbers. Because numbers are so just, they're apples and oranges. For example, here in the Ozarks, if you catch 50 coyotes in a season, you're a pretty good trapper, but if you're catching 50 coyotes out west somewhere in New Mexico or um, you know somewhere like that, Wyoming, Montana, anywhere out out west, um, 50 coyotes is probably not any big deal. Out, I mean, 50 coyotes in the Ozarks is probably 150 coyotes out there. So it's a completely different thing. It's a different mechanism. It's a different value system. It's a different um, numeric 
system whatsoever. The same with if you're trapping in the east. You're trapping in some places in the east and you catch 50 coyotes, you're a really good trapper. Um, and then other areas in the east, you might catch more. And you know, some upper Midwest areas, you might catch 100 coyotes. But where I am, you catch 50 to 70 and you're a very good trapper. You catch 100, you're really, you're like off the chart good trapper. So numbers, strictly numbers, are not necessarily always the best way to judge whether or not your trapping season was successful particularly when you're comparing them to other people's numbers. Now, if you're looking at numbers based on what you did last year, what you did the year before, what you did the year before that, um, and you're used to catching 50 coyotes a year, and now you catch 12, okay, maybe you didn't have such a successful season. Now, that could be a variety of reasons. Maybe you had to take more time away from trapping. Maybe the weather was horrible. Maybe, you know, you had family issues going on. Who knows? But if you spent the same amount of time trapping and your numbers were that off, then, you know, who knows? And maybe that's not even necessarily a negative thing. Maybe you just keep trapping the same areas over and over and over again and you're starting to actually get on top of some of the numbers and get a little bit more management going of some of the numbers and now, you know, those coyotes that are trying to move in have not moved in yet and you've been able to kind of keep the numbers a little bit more in check. That's very difficult to do with coyotes. It's been my experience that if you catch 10 coyotes from one area, nine move in, but you know, maybe you're, you are helping. So I don't know that numbers is strictly 100% the way to gauge whether or not you were having a successful trapping season or not, because you know, numbers can be apples and oranges and they can be so many variables to determine whether or not you had good numbers or not as good numbers as you'd like to have. But overall, if you take a variety of things, three, four, five different factors, and you funnel all those together, then I think it's a pretty good way to determine whether or not your trapping season was successful or not. And ultimately, only you know. Did you have fun? Did you help some neighbors? Did you help some farmers? Did you help the rabbit population, the quail population, the deer population, the turkey population? Did you harvest some fur? Did you maybe have good numbers and you actually made enough money to pay for your expenses? Then it's probably a successful trapping season. But sometimes just being out in the woods is a successful trapping season. I don't know of too many people that, you know, go out during deer season and they have their ATV on a trailer and they're camping in the woods with their friends and they kill a deer and they harvest that animal and they've got their rifle and they got all that other stuff. I don't know too many people that actually make money off a of deer season, but I doubt too many people think that deer season was unsuccessful. Even if you didn't harvest an animal, you just got to hang out with all your friends and socialize, it's probably successful, right? So there's lots of different ways to look at whether or not you were successful or not during trapping season. And these are just some of the ways that I do it. Maybe you do it a little differently. Um, we all have our little ways of determining things like that. But I think if you do it this way, it gives you a more better overall approach to determining success. And um, not just gauged on sheer numbers, which is, you know, usually what I hear is, hey, how was last trapping season? And the first thing is, well, I caught this many coyotes and this many bobcats and this many coons. Okay. Was that a successful season or not a successful season? I don't know. I have no idea. 
so that's kind of the way that that I do it um, let me know how you do it let me know how you decide whether or not trapping season was successful or not I'd love to hear from you I'm always wanting to learn from other people that's the reason that we do these podcasts is just trying to get people to share information and hopefully as you're driving down the road listening to this you've enjoyed it we're gonna do a lot more um, in the future I'm gonna try to do at least one a week there might even be weeks I can crank out two a week we'll see how it goes and uh, really start sharing information about trapping and things like that it's September here in the Ozarks almost so another week or so week and a half it'll be September and uh, that means trapping season is right around the corner I'm already getting excited so um, hopefully you guys are too thanks for listening Um, let your friends know about our podcast share it with people and uh, we'll see you next time 